Hey Dreadfuls, it's Rye. Before we start the episode, I wanted to let everyone know that there is a lot of sexual content in this episode because of the movie we are discussing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, Dreadfuls. You're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We are not a spoiler-free podcast, so make sure you have seen the movies we're talking about before you listen. I'm one of your hosts, Ray. And I'm your other host, Chris. Ooh. Oh. Uh, so this is a very, very special episode because it's one of Ryan's favorite horror movies, and I haven't seen it before. Um, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. No, 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 no. Um, so whatever. Wow, I just had a brain fart. So we are reviewing this week, uh, this cult classic film, uh, from 2001 called Ginger Snaps. Um, so if you haven't watched the film yet, um, one, how dare you? But two, it's okay. Pause right now. And spoiler zones beginning in three. Two, one. Okay. Uh, now you should be. Now we're in the spoiler zone. Uh, if you're if you're still listening, you're you're going at your own risk. Um, so the basic plot premise. I really like this synopsis that this uh, this user submitted on the official IMDb page. So I'm gonna read from that, and then we're just gonna go forward and discuss the movie. So this is again from IMDb.com. Quote. Is becoming a woman analogous or in some deep psychological way to becoming a, a werewolf? Ginger is 16, edgy, tough, and with her younger sister, Bridget, into staging and photo- uh, photographing scenes of death. They made a death pact about dying together uh, at the age of eight uh, at the time. In early October, on the night she has her first period, which is also the night of a full moon, a werewolf bites Ginger. Within a few days, serious changes begin ha- uh, begin happening to her body and her temperament. Her sister, uh, Bridget, 15, tries to have find a cure with the help of Sam, a local doper or drug dealer. As Bridget races against the clock, Halloween, and another full moon approach, Ginger gets scarier, and it isn't just local dogs that begin to die. Um, so that took me that took me off guard. Like I knew. Like I was, I mean, the movie opens on this like this sort of Pleasantville utopic vision of suburbia, and then um, it starts with a mom digging and tending to her garden, and a little baby playing the sandbox, and then you see the baby um, like wipe blood on its face, um, and then it pans from the mom's to the to the kid. And she she sees that the kid is playing with a uh, discombobulated paw of the family dog, and she she just starts wailing, going crazy. Um, she sees the totally eviscerated body of the dog carcass, uh, like a couple seconds later, um, and that's like the opening scene. It's like, oh, just like John Wick, this movie's not playing around. Like uh, it starts with a dog being viciously killed in the beginning so that really took me aback 
and not, not in like good or bad, not in a bad way. It's like, oh, this this movie's like, it sets a lot of the tone of what to expect from the movie. Oh, a hundred percent. And part of the reason why I I love this is so speaking as Women in Horror Month is sort of coming to a close, uh, and this. I, I want to say that we timed this on purpose like this. We didn't. It just happened to work out like this. But when you... I think that there are very few strong feminist examples of adolescence, not just as a metaphor for growing up when it comes to, like, supernatural movies. So you had Carrie... And you had her, I re, we should have put a warning in front of this. We're going to be talking a lot about periods. <laughs> yeah, lots about hormones and puberty, all that. It's really, it's really front and center in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's really like no hiding it and, and what they really do with this movie. That being said, first you have a movie like Carrie. And she gets her period for the first time and then her telekinesis wakes up. And you watch her try to navigate dealing with all of this and her mother and her new powers. And she goes through the movie and then obliterates her entire class. Now it's 2001 and you have this great story that's just another one about adolescence and and puberty. And you intersperse it with all the supernatural stuff. And... They really make a lot of great parallels between lycanthropy and puberty when it comes to the urges, the weird body hair, the body changes and all of that stuff. Like everything was so on the nose and so perfect. And I liked how the approach they took to lycanthropy was like a virus and they tried to solve it like a virus. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen that of. Uh... We've seen uh, we we've seen that uh, alluded in some aspects in during our underworld episode um, that uh, lycanthropy and vampirism were genetic traits that evolved and mutate over time. Um, but I really yeah I love uh, and you see a lot of this scientific angle um, or scientific reinterpretation or lens of viewing lycanthropy um through the character of sam which i i really enjoyed uh, uh I, I enjoyed his actor's performance and i liked his approach to it um where um he he broke he broke down the problem he's like okay we'll discard like well one he, he was taken into account okay let's take your take for example what if lycanthropy is real um um do uh some of these um some of these uh uh i guess cures or fables or medicinal uh traits uh which are really commonplace in folklore they might have uh basis in truth so they first tried silver uh and he gave her a sil- he gave bridget a silver ring to try out on her sister and when that didn't work uh, he did some more re- research. He he was like, yes, biology. It, this is rooted in biology. It's a biological problem. There, there must be a biological solution. Um, so they, later on in the film, um, they referred to botany. They studied uh, specific, specific types of plants. 
Um, and he Sam just cracked his head and did some homework. And I really enjoyed that. So this film was written by a woman, but it was directed by a man. And I'm still in awe of how much they achieved successfully, given all of that. Because it feels like the director understood what was going on and really didn't shy away from any of it. And I have to commend them for that. Maybe it's because it was done in Canada and not, and not here. I don't know. Uh, that, could, that could have a lot to do with it. But there are so many things that this film touches on, and it should. And it really impacted me seeing this at such a young age. And then it really just, it, it really holds up. I have probably watched this two or three times a year, every single year since I saw it. Yeah, a couple of things about uh, what you just said. So one, uh, Karen Walton, she's the writer of the film. Uh, but initially she was really, really apprehensive about um, writing it because she she didn't want to propagate or she had, I guess she had a bad taste in her mouth about the horror genre just repeatedly portraying women in a negative, negative light. Um, but a big major reason why uh, she w- she was tapped for the project, or she went a- went ahead with it, is because the director John Fawcett convinced her that um, this film he wanted to break those cliches uh, with this specific film, um, and I know in terms of John Fawcett's vision, he wanted to. There was two big things that informed his um, initial thought process and development in the movie. One, he wanted a film to focus on the concept of metamorphosis. And two, he wanted to work with young female actors or or have the movie involve about uh, young women in general, uh, in in particular. Um, And honestly, this film... I. when I was reading all the trivia about it and when I was trying to think about how this movie was released in the specific time and place uh, it was at the time, it's, it's a pure miracle or like that that this movie was released. There was a lot of obstacles in its way. Um, like one, uh, they had a ton of trouble trying to find a financier um, even prior, uh, to actual production, um, I think it took at least, like, two years before, or, like, they found, they found, like, the assembling team and the writers, um, and director, but then they wrote it, and then it took, like, an, a two years afterwards to find and secure financial backing. Uh, I know at the time of production, um, uh, the Col- Columbine shootings had happened, and there was another major shooting in Canada uh, uh, that followed it. And so this, f- uh, a lot of companies were really wary because they were afraid um, that this film would promote more or encourage more violence against or encourage violence of youth, like just committing similar acts on other youth, um, which also complicated getting finance finances even more uh and i know at the time a lot of at least with the, a lot of canadian canadian studios 
they looked poorly up upon like the horror genre in general. Yeah, horror has come a long way. Yeah. So at this, it's interesting. At this point in time, like Ginger Snaps overcame a lot of obstacles, and then even though it didn't perform as well in the box office, I think it was like the fifth highest grossing. Okay, uh, let me try to back. Uh, it was the fifth highest grossing movie in Canada. I'm not sure how well it did in North America, but just through word by mouth when it first premiered in a film festival in Munich and then another festival, um, it just gathers massive cult following. Um, and I think it wasn't until like a year or two later where the movie appeared on some some channel. I think it might have been HBO. Um, but then that was the first, that was like the first major watershed moment where, um, American horror fans could get access to it and it developed the cult following here as well. There's just so much I still love about this movie. All like the good things that it does. So like as a young girl, if you're, if your parents let you watch horror movies and if you're at that ripe age where you're gonna get your period and you're gonna go through all of that this movie can really make a fucking impact on you i think the the biggest thing was that ginger's transformation into a werewolf is 100 percent analogous to you quote-unquote transforming into a woman because she's terrified and puberty can kind of be terrifying for a girl like the first time you get your period if there's no warning it just happens so all of a sudden you're just bleeding and it's it's not it's not cute. It's it's scary. And blood is actually like a really semi eerie, beautiful common tro like common theme in this movie that sort of threads the whole thing together. They make a blood pact when they're what eight, and then there's the whole idea that like your blood is your family. So there's that biological aspect, and then they inject like some gallows humor into it, um, specifically like with two two characters you have the nurse who explains puberty puberty in a very and like in, in menstruation in a very very upfront a matter-of-fact tone uh and her delivery was was like it was so good and so like it's just a period yeah it it, it, it was just like I don't know how to describe it. It, it. it wasn't quite campy, but it was just so obscenely sincere that it just disgusted Ginger and Bridget in like this it, this delightful way. Um, and because it, it's like it's, it's you're you're getting the talk from an adult, and and like it's like to from the view of these daughters or these two girls it's like this is too much information this is too much at once i'm just bleeding and plus uh, uh, on top of all of that uh we we the audience know that ginger is experiencing symptoms of turning to a werewolf and that just compounds uh the amount of sheer tension and terror they're feeling at the t same time and then you have um my other favorite character the mom Oh my god. You know, you know, here's the thing. You should all want a mother like that. Yeah, she's kind of dumb and oblivious, but at the end of the movie, she came through for her fucking kids. Yes. And she's like very supportive and she's very loving and open and then and, you know, she's trying her best. Like that's that's like that's just, that's her entire deal. She is trying her best. It's just all you can do as a parent, really. She she was just like, "You know what?" <laughs> 
I'll light a match with your father inside the house and burn the whole fucking thing down. I was, I was, like, I oh was not God. expecting that. I was like, oh, oh, this is gr- okay, cool. And then, and and she, and there, uh, um, and Bridget was asking her. Okay, okay. Well, fast forward to the end, uh, just for context. If you still haven't seen the movie, uh, please pause it. <laughs> We're just gonna ruin everything right now. Yeah. So, at, uh, so what Rai was referring to. So at the climax of the scene, um, Ginger is going full werewolf. Um, she's at the Halloween party, um, and she's about to like you know go crazy, um, and her mom has discovered. Uh, the body underneath the tool shed because earlier in the movie, Ginger and Bridget accidentally killed her classmate. To be fair, they didn't kill her. It was like actually like a freak accident. Well, okay. Well, they involuntary manslaughter. They were there at the same scene of the crime. True, but it was actually like, like, so don't get me wrong. Ginger kills a lot of fucking people in this movie. But this... But Trina Sinclair's death was a legit freak accident. She slipped on a puddle of milk and smacked her head on the corner of a counter. I mean, regardless, like, the mom thinks, like, oh no, my daughter's killed someone. And yet she was willing to, like, light the house on fire. She was like, I'll let the gas go and I'll just light it up and I'll light it on fire. No one's gonna take my girls away from me and everyone's gonna blame me anyway. Yeah, it was great because like like the mom's like, okay, we'll just start a new life. We'll we'll burn everything down. And then Bridget was asking, well, what about dad? And the mom's like, well, your dad doesn't understand. He wouldn't understand. He he was like, you know, she basically said f you to your <laughs> to the dad. It was great. Well, earlier earlier in in the movie, Bridget to distract her mom from finding Trina Sinclair's body. She says, what do boys want? So she sits the two of them down with milk and cookies and like like probably goes through like an hour-long lecture about what boys want. And then we see the mom later in bed and she pulls out a magazine and she has all these articles like flagged. Like she was like ready to go when her daughters were going to start experiencing this stuff and like and like have questions. The particular book she was reading was was like, why does your daughter date dummies or something like that? Or something like that. And then the father was like, they're up to something. He was right. Because like, <laughs> right outside the window, something. they were dragging the body. To the they were dragging the body. But it, it, she was like, no, they're just being girls. And he was like, so why are they suddenly so interested in what you have to say? And she was like, Henry, stay in your own world. This one just confuses you. I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> she was ready to burn his ass to the ground. I get, Like, she was done. She was done. It was very good. It was very good. She was sipping that tea. Dropping truth with with her beautiful. with her curlers before bed. Yeah, she's like the nineteen fifties <laughs> mom that stayed in the nineteen fifties, just mm-hmm. like eternally. But was still oddly progressive too. Yeah, so because yeah, she believed was... Bridget when Bridget was like, "Now she thinks it's cool when you let us figure stuff out for ourselves." And she's like, "I wonder if that approach was working." Newsflash: It wasn't, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think part of what contributed to me finding a place like within horror and within true crime and trying very hard to like not feel too ashamed about it was the opening of this movie is the the carnage of the dog dying and then you see you get your introduction to Ginger and Bridget and you see these death photos that they're doing all over like their lawn and in the backyard and in the garage 
and it ends up being like a school project and while no one else has a problem with it the principal was like or the teacher was like well i'm uh i'm just i'm disturbed aren't i like this is weird like he he immediately just rejects it he's like i i'm flat out sickened it's like actually you yeah, two go to like, god's I, house i this no so i i find that that is a really interesting parallel between the fact that he sort of because to be fair the the project that they had done this for was life in bailey downs and that's how they see their life in bailey downs like they can't wait to end theirs and they want to distract from the mundane so i found it a really interesting parallel that 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 there are people that live their lives like that but how quickly the teacher rejected that as being not normal compared to the rejection of the normalcy of a nurse explaining to Ginger and Bridget how a period works. Just there are just so many things in the, in this film that oh they just hold up. They're just so it's so I'm so I'm just I I feel like I'm just gonna spend most of this just as like a giant love letter to Catherine Isabel and, and Ginger Snaps for existing. It's very good. Like I I uh, I I enjoy this movie. It was I could definitely see why you enjoy it. like cause it has like it has like elements of true crime, it has elements of like gallows humor. It's um I mean one of the biggest things we always talk about on this podcast, um the director Fawcett, he absolutely refused to have CGI effects on the film. So he only wanted special effects and prosthetics and makeup and, um, you know, props to Catherine Isabel who played Ginger because um, I um, I was reading up information on how tedious uh, the process was and she was such a good sport about it and it the result paid off and a lot of these, a lot of the transformation sequences, um, they had like this vivid grotesque quality that was really reminiscent of Cronenberg stuff and I really enjoyed that too well that that's what I was gonna ask you so I think part of what apart from all the violence that's in this movie what makes this movie so impactful for me is the biggest thing in werewolf movies for me what really sells it as a viewer is that transformation sequence We've watched, we watched An American Werewolf in London and you know how successful that was. And then you watch the movie like The Howling and you're just like, I see what they're doing there, but you can tell the little bits where it went wrong and it makes it sort of like laughable. This is arguably a grow, like grotesque transformation. You don't see much, but what you do see is disgusting. I've seen it 20 million times over. This was your first time watching it. As far as transformation sequences go, how did you feel about this? Where does it land for you? I think it was... I, I, I'm not quite sure. I don't know what kind of percentages we're, we're dealing with where um, if it was a matter of budgeting, since this was a like a low-slash-bid-budget film, um, if a lot of these... A lot of the teases of the... Uh, transformation scenes were intentionally made to be like quick cuts slash hints or little breadcrumbs um, because you you see like bits and pieces uh, throughout the film like the the or ginger growing a tail um, or ginger's hair uh, slowly becoming streaked and then this white over time 
um, or just gradually glowing claws. But then when you when the shit really gets real, oh, actually, okay, well, before that, the one of the, one of the coolest sequences I loved where um, was when Ginger was starting to get like really overpowering sexual and predatory feels and it was a scene when she was with jason jason in the car and they're, they're making out and then she starts like stripping off her shirt and then you start to see like parts of her back like per like like the her, her vertebrae like sticking out forcing its way through the skin uh, and like her you see like her ribs start to like like segment i was like oh and it, it it's only like really close co- close-ups you don't see the entire scene um but it's just dropping like massive hints or massive uh breadcrumbs of what's gonna be what's gonna be inedible in like the third act or the end um and once you get to the end um uh you get like this really beautiful but the grotesque uh, chest racing sequence uh, in the back of the van where where her face just her snout starts to grow out of her face and stretching everything, um, and even then we don't get to see a fully like fully drawn out sequence, which is okay because like they were trying to go for a big reveal. At least that's, that's what I thought. Like you, you see, like the van explode out something something rushes out and sam and bridget are just going through the house which is all torn up um and just trying to systematically scout each room and it's not until sam gets dragged away uh, all the way down to the basement that we see ginger in her full wolf form and it's super cool it's like it was really interesting because it's like it, it was like like a somewhat hairless, super hulked out, roided wolf. Um, oh, it was really cool. I haven't really seen like a werewolf design like that before. I like that it was a person in a suit on all fours. I don't care if you can tell. I think that it was grotesque. I think that, and especially in a film where you're making a parallel between a girl getting her period for the first time and transforming into a werewolf i think that it was sort of perfect that the werewolves looked gross and ugly and not furry because it's kind of how you feel when you're on your period it's kind of how you feel when you get it for the first time it's kind of how you feel when you experience puberty period like things are happening to you that you don't like that you don't understand necessarily and it affects everybody differently and i think that they really showed how that plays out in both Jason and Ginger when Ginger gave the virus to Jason. So like with Jason, he broke out like hello teenage puberty acne all over his face. She was snippy, kind of like PMS, but then she had these urges, which can happen. It's just, it's just an all encompassing sort of Beautifully bloody movie. I agree. So, right, you you've seen this movie many times. What are your what are your feelings on the ending? Now, for for me, the ending. Not that I didn't like it. It just kind of threw me off because like I wasn't expecting it to go that way. Um, I was expecting the movie to end like a 
sort of Shakespearean comedy, like all's well, ends well. Like, even though those situations fucked, like there's a bit of hope and optimism at the end. So what I thought was going to happen was that, you know, Bridget, Bridget's not only facing off against Ginger, she's facing against like everything she knows beforehand. And she's, she's at a crossroads where um, this was teased a little bit beforehand when she was having that heart to heart with her mother and her mother says, well, you, you, you two shouldn't always be attached to the hip. You shouldn't always do what your sister wants you to do. Like one of these days you should like, you know, I, I wish I, you would, you know, stand up for yourself or choose your own path. Um, and that's some, that, that's hints that her mom has been constantly dropping, uh, throughout the film beforehand as well. Um, so fast track to the third act of the scene where Bridge is escaping through the basement. Uh, she picks up the knife that Ginger was using to cut off her tail and she has the knife in one hand and she has the syringe in the other. Um, and Ginger attacks. She basically runs herself into the knife and she starts to die. Um, and I thought at that point Bridget would have tried to cure her and try to get help and then I thought I legit thought like the, the movie the end of the movie would be like the mom and the two sisters fleeing for their lives and trying to start a new life they it ends with the house burning because I, th- I would have loved to see that on film but the turn for me was uh, it turns into this super tragic ending like you see Bridget stab her sister but not not by axe not purposely but Ginger runs into the knife. Um, she looks down at the at the serum, and then she looks and pans to all the all the death photos and all the family photos they've taken before. Um, Ginger's just on the ground, uh, still in werewolf form. Her la- breathing is labored, and then she eventually dies. And then it ends with Bridget just crying over Ginger's like a lichened corpse. And I was like, oh, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And I was like, I didn't really know how to process that. I mean, um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on what that meant. So the first time I saw this movie, I thought the ending was going to be exactly what you thought. Um, There's a couple of things that having watched it over the years that they sort of hint at that I think they sort of hint at to indicate that that's not the outcome that you're going to get. So... For one thing, Bridget infects herself with the same quote-unquote virus that Ginger has. And as we've seen, Ginger sort of lets the virus control her. And she loses herself to it. She, like, gives into her urges and her hormones and all of this. So Ginger is already forever affected and changed by what has happened to her. Bridget makes the determination that she's not going to let that happen because she's still very much herself well well counterpoint like she's she's all she's been infected for a lot less time than ginger well she did it so she could understand what her sister was going through she also says earlier in the movie ginger says i said i would die for you and she said no you said you'd die with me because you had nothing else to do because you had nothing better to do ginger found boys she found a life outside of her sister her sister hadn't come up to experience that yet so 
I think in Bridget's mind, Ginger was her sister that we saw at the beginning of the movie was already gone. So it wouldn't have mattered if she saved her. They weren't going to get that back. And she's already infected and now she has to live with that. So what's she going to do? Take care of Ginger and take care of her and have to go through this whole thing. And I just think that there were too many instances, including one of the ones that you said, which was, you know, you, you should, you should be more independent. Well, her taking control over the way she got the virus and the way she's deciding to behave from that point on is her taking control, is her being independent with the virus and being independent of what the virus makes her do. So are you saying that in the end, Bridget doesn't take the serum or she decides because she still she still has the serum at the end of the, end of the um, So... Yes, it's kind of unfair to ask that question only because there is a sequel and I've seen it. So I know what happens la- I know what happens next. Well, we'll get to that, but assuming this was the only film in the franchise. I think the implication is that she takes the serum. She takes the implication that she's not going to let what happened to Ginger happen to her, that she's going to be better about it. That if puberty and your period is analogous for normalcy and assimilation, th- that's not what she's going to do. She's not going to be normal. She's not going to assimilate. She's living with this now. The whole thing of the rejection of the normalcy of what your body goes through is right there. Ginger even says something. She says something to the effect of try your whole life to be different and your own body betrays you. To me, like the logical thing to do would be would be to take the serum but in terms of like a thematic foil to her sister like if bridget doesn't take the serum she decides to find a way to learn how to like channel control and to like allow the lycanthropy to be part of her as a natural accepted part of her of her being like then in a way that's her growing up in a, in a way that's apart and different and maybe in some way like superior to ginger because like because ginger just she has all this power but she doesn't or, or all this all these things about it but she doesn't really make a concrete effort to like take responsibility or try to take accountability or at least try to like manage it so it doesn't like reek out and kill everything in her path which exactly what happened and so i feel like bridget if she okay again this is not this is not this is me coming from me like not seeing the sequels or not even reading anything about the sequels if she didn't keep the serum i feel like bridget would be um you know someone like like Remen lupin um from harry potter who like yes they they know that this condition will cause complications but they will take measures to make sure um it's something they can live with something they imagine with something that will she uh, something that she uh, she can she will establish control and measures so that it will never hurt anyone again because look what happened with ginger who didn't take any of those precautions to begin with you know whether that would be not or refusing to to stay in the house um or 
or refusing to use yeah to use, use protection um while going on this sex crazed thrill ride with 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 jason this film also paints so jason starts out as a very sexually aggressive aggressive teenage kid and that ends because he gets involved with ginger and ginger becomes a sexual aggressor which is something that you don't you don't really see in films which also just adds to my appreciation of this movie. That being said, like I said, it's kind of unfair to to ask what what happens because I kind of know what happens. <laughs> There's a sequel and a prequel. I've never seen the prequel. I have seen the sequel multiple times. I won't spoil that for you in case you want to watch it. Or in case we want to do a franchise episode about it. Or in case we want to do the whole franchise. What I will ruin for you is that Bridget does take the serum. It doesn't do what you think it does. It turns her to a super werewolf. (laughs) 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 They did it. So I, okay, here's my- So they did it Underworld before Underworld? here's, Here's my theory. So in- so, so in their panic-stricken state, Sam and Bridget mess up the serum. Um, maybe they, maybe that thing, that flower that was Monkswood, it was not actually Monkswood. It was some other plant that the mom got at the craft store, and it was a special flower that actually amplifies and mutates and makes an even stronger, more powerful, more more savage werewolf. And they don't know that yet because, you know, Ginger was killed with a knife and not with the serum. But then but then Bridget, she serum, serumizes herself and then um and then come the next full moon, oh shit, like she becomes a super werewolf. And then she, she then she runs away to, with Michael Sheen and they start a vampire uh, they started War of the Vampires and their, their new super liking cult. Okay, on the next episode, I'm just going to get Chris super fucked up and we're just going to listen to theories. <laughs> I do think you should watch the sequel, though. Yes. I believe that is also on Amazon Prime. I think all three of them are on Amazon Prime, actually. Oh, sweet. Every time I talk up a movie that I've seen a million and a half times and you haven't, it's always my biggest concern that you won't like it. I mean, we we're we our our hit ratio is pretty good. I mean, Poughkeepsie tapes are like that doesn't technically technically count because both of us didn't. Yes, see- it does. Well, well, because you haven't seen it before, like when we were That's watching true. it. Like this is something that this is like your version of Mad Max. In a way, and I I, gen- I generally enjoyed this. So this is a so you have no excuse. You have to watch Mad Max. I I do have plenty of excuses. We have another movie to no. watch for the next episode that I have <laughs> again. Like I I've also seen this movie a bunch of times. So like this is gonna be another movie that I'm just gonna sit there and like hope that Chris enjoys. <laughs> Just fingers crossed. There you go. The difference between Ginger Snaps and the movie that we're going to have to watch next is that Ginger Snaps you can put on in the background and do whatever you want and then come back into the room for the really gross parts of this movie you have to pay attention to. So, so right. What? I mean, I feel like with a lot of times with movies, I, especially movies that I watch with comfort food, you know, or especially with movies I, I watch like comfort food, you know, I always tr- come away 
watching like Mad Max or watching like my favorite horror movies with a like, new angle. Like, like you know, I've I can't tell you how many times I've watched the thing, and it just something something about it I pick up that I haven't noticed before. So on this watch through, what was that for you? And it, it, in stark comparison to when you first watched it, like when you're back when you were like a you know preteen or whenever you whatever age you were when you were when you first watched it the ending gets progressively uh more and more obvious the more you watch it and i start to pick up on the subtle or not so subtle parallels that they make between puberty and lycanthropy in this movie you see it at like surface level but when I was growing up, it wasn't something I really, like, registered. It was just sort of like a B-plot. You don't understand how much they put a side-by-side throughout that movie between those two things. And that was something I really, really went through while I was watching it this time. Also, like I said, the ending becomes more and more obvious. And, like, the, it's like the little things that the mom says to Bridget or that Bridget says to Ginger that, like, oh, shit – this isn't going to end the way you think it is. It's not going to be happy. And it, uh, I think it's just the small nuances that you either intentionally or unintentionally just miss while you're watching it for fun and entertainment. And you're not watching it because you have to watch it with a closer lens. Like the first time, like in all honesty, I watched this movie three times for this episode purely because I love it so much. But the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, it's been a bit. So I'm actually going to sit here and pay attention to it. And that's where I started picking up on all this little stuff. And I was like, oh shit, that was really good. And damn, I forgot they did that. And the fact that this movie, A, still holds up 19 years after it was made. But B, can you can still watch it no matter how many times you've seen it and still be surprised even though you know what's going to happen, I think is a sign of a successful film. Um, and a slightly related question to that. So I'm not sure whether or not uh, this film has like any extended scenes or extended cut or like a deleted scene. Uh, one, are there any of those? And two, does it change the context or the understanding or... Uh, the character of your appreciation for this film. If I'm being perfectly honest, I've never looked. I have absolutely no idea. And I think that's because whether there is or there isn't, this movie is just so perfect in my eyes that like, I don't, I, I don't know. I just, I never looked. I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, because when I was doing like preliminary research, I didn't see anything about delete scenes. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I just assume because like I know you're. This is one of your favorite movies, so I, I figured you would hunt down every single scrap of media. Right. So you would think I would have looked up deleted scenes <laughs> or an extended version. I know. I have no idea. Or if you, if you do know about some super secret cut or some deleted scenes out there, you know, you can always message us or you can always contact us on our social media channels and let us know. Lastly, Rye, what is your favorite scene and your favorite kill? I think despite the fact that it, it paints uh, a, a negative light on Ginger and, and, and females in sexual situations, I do like that. I, and I think that that's part of the reason why I like it is when Ginger and Jason are in the back of the car 
and he's like, just lie back and relax and, and I'll like, basically like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And he's like, come on, who's the guy here? And she's like, who's the fucking guy here? Like, she's sort of like repulsed by the way everything goes. But more importantly, the scene that follows that is her talking about the experience of like losing her virginity for the first time. And that has resonated more with me as an adult as I've watched it as I've gotten older than I think any other part of this movie. Uh, yeah, they built they build it up to this great big thing. She talks about the social repercussions of what having sex with Jason is going to mean. And I think that that is so important and a conversation that no one likes to have. And that, I think, in and of itself, like that whole sequence just becomes my favorite because it because it became so much more important as I got older. Yeah, she comments on like the double standard of like hookup culture, but it it it's not it's not done in like a preachy way. Right. Like a guy can be aggressive and do all of this stuff, but when a girl does it, she's a bitch and a slut. Yeah, exactly. And then um she she's calling bullshit on that particular uh social phenomena or that 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 social perspective um and it's not done in a preachy way it's done in like a very natural way um it's done in a organic way and it's a legitimate it's a legitimate criticism a legitimate question that you know us as society are still doing with like 19 years later yeah as for my favorite kill it's uh sam's death i agree because of how fucking personal it feels. Like, there is still some part of Ginger that's Ginger as that wolf. Because she sits there and they're, like, sharing Sam together. But when Bridget gets up and says, I can't, Sam's dead. She knows what this human means to this to this person. She knows that's her sister on some level. And maybe it's because they've shared the virus so she knows that she's like her. She's going to be. I, I don't know. But that is a great kill for that reason. There's that there's that sister connection that they have in that moment. Whether it's sister by blood or if it's wolf pack by blood. For me, I um I'd agree I Maybe it's not so much my favorite kill, but it was the kill that like affected me the most. Cause I, at the beginning of the film, I thought Sam was just like, uh, he was gonna be a red shirt. He was gonna be like a throwaway B character that was that would have been like one of the first or if not the early victims um, of of Ginger. Uh, but then he, he just grew to be this super invaluable character, not just for uh the plot not just for discovering the cure like he's not just like some science macguffin smart guy um he was he was really an integral part of how bridge was able to grow beyond herself and two like he was just he was a lot more than he meets the eye he was he had a lot of uh character depth uh that you, you see he's just he's not just this sketchy drug dealer like he had genuine compassion and care concern and he was also really smart and um savvy and i was really affected by his death it's like oh no sam so um in terms of my favorite kid oh um in terms of my favorite moment it still had to be like the any scene with the mom because it just uh, it just provided this really strangely placed but welcome sense of black comedic levity 
Um, Because, like, yes, she's, like, this 1950s-esque perfect mom image of, like, of, of, like, the ultimate, the ultimate uh, Pleasantville incarnation, right smack in the middle of peak 1990s suburbia, but she still provided, like, this this counterbalance to all of, like the dark like really deep emotional shit and goriness um that prevalates this mo- this movie and uh, it gives it like this nice balance it also like kind of like throws you off in like a nice way it's like oh okay this um and um and especially that th- that crazy turn where she's like let's just burn everything down and go and i was like hell hell yeah this mom was like best character it's awesome I'm still just like so glad you enjoyed this movie. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't get why you're always trying so. It's like, oh no, Chris is gonna hate this movie. It's just because I feel like I, I, I talk a big game about horror movies that I watched a bunch that impacted me. That I don't expect. It's. I think it's an impossible expectation that all horror movies have the same effect on people. That's stupid. But I would like to think, like, it always makes me question my judgment as, like, a horror fan if I recommend a horror movie that I love till the ends of the earth to someone and they're like, eh. Well, well for me, I'm generally, like, a really open-minded person. And also to compound that, I'm, like, a, I have, like, a really bar, we have a, I have a really low bar for entertainment as well. So I tend to, I tend to enjoy mostly everything, even, like, the most, the, the, the super terrible stuff we do. So I, I feel like you're, you should be okay. Oh, good. Then get my hopes up for the for the next one and watch, watch. Oh. <laughs> if I would give this film a rating, it would be uh. I'd give it five out of five wolves. <laughs> I would give it. I would give it like four out of five serums because I'm still trying to like wrestle with how I feel about the ending. Like, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm still trying to leverage my expectations with what actually happened. Um, and that granted, I should just watch it or I should grade it on what it presents on its merits. No, you, you grade it on what it presents and how it made you feel. If you're feeling some kind of way about it, then that's what it is. I will say that like, go back to it at some point, like give breathing room, go back to it at some point, watch it again and then tell me how you feel about it. All right. True facts, and then who knows? Maybe we'll go back to it and then as a as a primer for uh, Ginger Snaps franchise episode because we do we have two other movies I haven't seen them. Uh, without any spoilers, would you recommend the sequel? I didn't hate the sequel. I really didn't, and that's and that's rare for me. Okay, I mean that's that's good. That's a, that's a good enough re- recommendation. Like I did, I really didn't hate the sequel. I thought it was entertaining. Yeah, that's what I can say without spoiling it. <laughs> Okay. All right. Cool. Let's leave it at that. So, on that note, thank you for listening to another episode of Left for Dread. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify every Friday. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Left for Dread Pod. You can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on our website, Left for Dread. Yes, and um, we've teased this multiple times throughout the episode, but the next movie we're reviewing is High Tension um, from 2003. So uh, if you want to follow along next week, 
um, when we release uh, that episode. Uh, be sure you watch it before then. Uh, and we hope you enjoy this episode too. Um, so uh, you have your homework. Don't don't forget to do it. Um, and as always, <laughs> stay, stay dreadful. dreadful.